You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Do you know that until my testimony and the plan God has for my life to be a witness here, until God is through with me, nobody can kill me. But it's the same for you. When God protects us. Now, if you go and do something stupid, then it's not God's fault. I mean to say, well, then I just go walk right out in front of US 19 on a busy day. No, you're dead. And you're stupid. God has a plan for your life, and He'll protect and enable you to carry it out. He won't allow a single day to be cut short as long as you're focused on following His will for your life. This doesn't guarantee you a long life, but it does mean that your life will be meaningful and effective for Him. As Pastor Danny clarifies in today's message, you do have the free will to choose your own way outside of His purpose. And if you do, you'll miss out on His greater plan, and your life will be a waste. Now here's Pastor Danny in Revelation chapter 10 with part one of today's message, A Witness for Christ in a Wicked World. Revelation chapter 11. John, the apostle, writes chapter 11, verse 1. I was given a reed, like a measuring rod, and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there. I'm not sure why he tells him to count the worshipers, but God is concerned about the number of worshipers. Are there more at this period of time or are there less? I don't know. But count the worshipers. God cares. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. That's half of the great tribulation. That's three and a half years. Other scriptures bear this out that for three and a half years, Antichrist will be ruling and reigning and it'll be a Gentile confederation that basically sweeps over the whole earth and rules. Three and a half years here, they will trample on the holy city. Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians 2, Daniel chapter 9, and here, all are scriptures that confirm that there will be, again, a temple in Jerusalem. That's what we're talking about in these first couple of verses. The measuring. The Jewish court, the outer court. The Jewish court, only Jews could go in. The outer court is for Gentiles. Okay? Exclude the outer court, don't measure it, because it's been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. 
So the idea seems to be that it's only Jewish worshipers right here at this particular time. Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 tells us that in the middle of this seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist, who has made a covenant with Israel. And in that covenant, one of the things that is allowed now is the worship of the Jews at their temple, which the Antichrist, in my opinion, may actually help to finance and build, just like another Gentile ruler helped build the last temple that was destroyed in 70 AD. King Herod financed it and built it for the Jews. It was a political move. And this will be a political move. But after the 42 months, halfway through, he will break his covenant with Israel. Other scriptures tell us exactly what he will do. He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. He will set himself up in the temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That is the abomination of desolation. That is when things go from bad to really bad to cataclysmic to the second coming of Jesus. Verse 3, and I'll give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1260 days. That's about the three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. They are prophesied about in Zechariah chapter 4. They are referred to as olive trees because olive oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. And they are ministering by the power of the Holy Spirit. They are lampstands because they shine God's light in a very dark world. They are clothed in sackcloth because they minister in times of mourning, grief, and crisis. They are God's chosen witnesses. We are not told their names, but they have ministries similar to Moses and Elijah. Verse 5. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. You can write down Old Testament scripture, 2 Kings chapter 1, and I'm not going to take the time to turn to it, but it's specifically verses 9 to 14. And in the ministry of Elijah the prophet, king at the time sends some men to arrest him. And they come to arrest him. The commander of the 50 men that he brought with him to arrest Elijah uh, says, man of God, you come down. The king wants to see you. Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your men. Guess what happened? Fire came down from heaven, consumed the commander and the 50 men he brought to arrest Elijah. The king sends another commander with another 50 men. He says, man of God, you come down right now. The king wants to see you. Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Guess what happened? Fire came down from heaven, consumed the second group. By this time, the third group comes, and this guy, he's paying attention. 
And humbly, he says, O man of God, please have regard for my life and the life of my men. And would you be so kind to answer the request of the king? But in Elijah's ministry, he had power sometimes that actually would cause fire to consume his enemies. That's what these two witnesses have. Then verse 6, these men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time that they are prophesying. Another thing Elijah was allowed to do, he prayed that it would not rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. You go on, and they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Those of us who know the Bible at all, in the Old Testament, in the early stories, you know about Moses, the ten plagues, the Nile turned to blood, the flies, the gnats, the frogs, all the plagues. So these two witnesses have ministries similar to Moses and Elijah. Is it Moses and Elijah? I don't know. I think one of them very likely is literally Elijah. Because remember, Elijah did not die. He went up in chariots of fire, in a whirlwind of fire, and he has not experienced physical death yet. Interesting too, even though Moses died, it says God buried him. And nobody knows where he's buried. And very fascinating scripture in that little letter just prior to the book of Revelation. Jude, verse 9, even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, the devil wanted Moses' body. Did not dare bring a slanderous accusation against him, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. So we could go on, but look, two witnesses. Is it really Elijah? I don't know. Is it Moses uh, come back from the dead? I don't know. But they have ministries like Moses and Elijah. Now, verse 7. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. This is Antichrist filled with Satan, empowered and motivated by hell. When they finish their testimony, I could do a whole message on this, not going to obviously. Do you know that until my testimony and the plan God has for my life to be a witness here, until God is through with me, nobody can kill me. But it's the same for you. When God protects us. Now, if you go and do something stupid, then it's not God's fault. I mean, to say, well, then I just go walk right out in front of US 19 on a busy day. No, you're dead. And you're stupid. <laughs> but if my, if my motive is to please God, if my desire is to be a witness for God, Until my ministry is through, nobody can kill me. 
How many times do you read in the gospel accounts that Jesus slipped through their hands because it was not yet his time? It was not yet his time. So when they finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them, overpower, and kill them. Now catch this. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So we know that's Jerusalem. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their dead bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Who did they torment? Specifically, who did they torment? Their enemies. Who are their enemies? Those who reject what they have to say. Those who reject what they stand for, and more importantly, who they stand for. This is the first worldwide anti-Christmas. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen. God will have two choice witnesses in this time just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And they will, from Jerusalem, speak truth, share the gospel, live lives like Jesus lived, not absolutely perfect like Jesus, but living a life like his that will convict. But people will reject their message, people will reject their Savior, and people will reject what they stand for. But they are God's chosen. The first anti-Christmas. The world will be rejoicing. These guys are dead, and they're going to gloat over them. And men from every tribe, people, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies. We know how that's going to happen. If you read this 100 years ago, you'd have been going, how in the world will people all over the world gaze on these dead men and their bodies? It's going to be on every major network. It's going to be front page news all around the world because these guys are dead. The world is rejoicing. Now they can't do any harm anymore. I love verse 11. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. They're probably going, we should have buried these guys. <laughs> then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And that's the best three words they've ever heard in their whole life. <laughs> come up here. Okay. <laughs> Beam us up. Get us out of here. And God does. And they went up to heaven. In a cloud, while their enemies looked on. It's one of the coolest scriptures in all the Bible for me. I just love it. Take that. See you later, punk. Go ahead. Make my day. 
I just love it. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake. A tenth of the city collapsed. Jerusalem. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Some commentators note that giving glory to the God of heaven does not mean that they received Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm just going to let that lie. I don't know. Verse 14, the second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. This would be trumpets 5, 6, and 7. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you've taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Just a little quick note. That goes beyond tree hugger issues. Okay? So if you're a tree hugger, don't use that verse for your campaign. They're destroying the earth because of their greed, their lust for power, Antichrist and his masses and the, the, the absolute holocaust, if you will, for destroying those who destroy the earth. And then God's temple in heaven was opened. And within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. The ark of his covenant represents the power and the presence of God for his redeemed people. Flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. And it's not a movie, and it's not Hollywood. It's real stuff. It's the two-minute warning. The game is almost up. And we win. What a contrast in scenes. The world has been pummeled with one judgment after another, and all the while truth and the way of salvation has been proclaimed, but the world rejects the truth, rejects Jesus. Not only rejects Jesus, they are anti-Jesus. So much so that the two choice witnesses in this time, when they are killed, the world throws the first anti-Christmas party. But the rejoicing in their party and their anti-Christmas gift-giving is short-lived because these guys are resurrected, sent back to heaven, their home, 
and then judgments continue to fall. As we move closer and closer to the end of this present age and the second coming of Jesus Christ, men's hatred toward truth, their rejection of truth, and their rejection of Jesus Christ and all he stands for and who he is will increase. And I don't know where you live, but in the world I live in, that's what I'm seeing. It's an increase in an absolute rejection of truth. When I say truth, I'm talking about take any truth, any truth. There's, there's a significance in this book. Husbands. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. You preach that kind of stuff in our world? And people go, what? Are you so old-fashioned? No, I'm relevant to truth. I read the Proverbs. And the Proverbs are so clear to me about disciplining your child. And there is no such thing as time out in the Scriptures. There is a take them to the woodshed and put the rod of correction to the seat of learning. But you preach that and teach that and proclaim that in our day, and it's not accepted. Not only is it not accepted, you could get in trouble. But it's truth. And if we buy into it, it'd save our kids. At least from the world's way of doing things. One of the things that was obvious to me in middle school camp, please don't take this wrong. I'm not trying to single anybody out. One of our lady leaders had a whole bag full of prescription drugs for middle schoolers. And I'm just going, maybe some of them need it, but I'm wondering, do all of them really need these prescription drugs? What is wrong with our church? Are we buying into the world's ways? You say, where are you getting all that from the scripture you just gave us? I was excited until that point because you should have ended right there when you said we win. And then I'd go away encouraged. But here's what the Lord really, really drove home to me. In this chapter, never before has he driven this particular point home in this chapter. But it's there. It's there. It's a living book. So you can read it the next time. It doesn't have a different meaning, but it can speak to you in a different way. doesn't have a different meaning, but it hit you here last time. It hit you here this time. Two witnesses. Two witnesses. They are witnesses of truth in a wicked world. In a world that they are rejected in terms of what they say, in terms of what they believe, in terms of who they follow, in terms of being disciples of Jesus Christ. And yet they are witnesses. They are witnesses. Why? Because God loves these people. And if they would only acknowledge you're speaking truth, you're living truth, you represent truth, and you represent the way to salvation. Here's what I felt strongly led to do, is to spend at least another Sunday on this chapter.
As you continue to study the book of Revelation, you'll see destruction and death, but also the incredible future that awaits you if you're a follower of Jesus. The pictures painted of the throne room of heaven are inspiring and exciting, and you will one day get to stand where John stood. You'll meet the Lamb of God, who took away your sins. You'll rejoice with the angels and spend eternity getting to know your Creator as He always intended, in perfect love. This is something to cling to as you move through the difficulties of life. Knowing that you have a new home waiting in heaven can also be the catalyst to move you to share the good news of grace with others. They can also have a chance to live eternally with Jesus, and they might just be waiting for someone to introduce them. We hope today's message on the Living Word has been a blessing to you, and we'd like to tell you how you can access more teachings from Pastor Danny. All you need to do is visit our website, ccfstpete.church. Click on Sermons to be directed to our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. That way, you'll never miss a new edition of The Living Word. Are you listening in the St. Petersburg area right now? If so, we have a special invitation for you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. Find out more and get directions at ccfstpete.church. Once more, that website is ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in today, and we hope you'll join us again right here on The Living Word.